Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name's Matt Brusky, and I'm back from a little bit of a vacation from the show. It's good to be back, and we have our full panel as always, which means Robert Craig is sitting across from me drinking coffee. Robert is the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Morning, everyone. It's good to be back, Robert. And Rebecca Lynch, our awesome new panelist from the Wisconsin Working Families. Rebecca. Hi, how's it going? Uh, Rebecca, thanks for uh, filling in uh, as a new host, uh, new panelist while I was gone. I appreciate both of you. Uh, since I was in Colorado at a retreat, it was excellent. It's good to be back. One needs it because things never change here in Wisconsin. So we've got a great show this week. Uh, our first uh, section of the show, we are going to speak with State Senator Tim Carpenter, who's been uh, leading the effort to expose what's been going on around the Foxconn deal. So we're going to jump right into that conversation since we have Senator Carpenter with us right now. Senator Carpenter, thanks for joining us today. Uh, good morning. It's great to, um, great to be on your show. Well, we're really glad to have you. And uh, obviously, you are a board member on WEDEC and so have been involved directly in what's been going on in terms of the, it, it, quite frankly, surreal kind of experience, uh, the whole Foxconn deal uh, from the very beginning, being one of the largest giveaways, but specifically what's uh, really come to surface in the last week, and you've been central to that, is the notion that somehow after all of this, this secret deal, that there is no, currently, there is no guarantee that the state could get back any of its uh, its resources if uh, Foxconn didn't live up to the deal. Talk more about just your experience and, and how this could happen. Sure. Well, I, my uh, I've been on the WDC board. I took Senator Lass's place. The Republicans uh, wanted to get rid of her because she was doing such a great job on WEDC. Um, I'm concerned about the organizational culture of WEDC. It's very insular. Uh, a lot of power goes into a few people's, uh, a few people's hands. Uh, we, the, the board just rubber stamps things, basically, in my opinion. And uh, they, we, they were going to force us to have a vote with very little advance time. Uh, there were three staff memos to try and go through, one after another after another, with changes. Um, and I wanted them to hold the vote until I got a chance to read all the material, understand it. They wouldn't do it. However, just before that vote was going to take place uh, on October 17th, about 10 hours beforehand, uh, their legal team, their crack legal team, found out that uh, there was a huge problem, and I called it the nuclear bomb, because uh, the way it was written uh, Wisconsin could have plowed out tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars to Foxconn, and the way it was set up, we would not have been able to guarantee we could get the money back from Foxconn because of a, it being a foreign corporation and the way their corporate structure is. And so that's when I cried foul. Um, I wanted to see the contract uh, to look at it. I've been refused on that. And actually having staff review something, uh, Act 58, that Walker signed in, the Foxconn bill, uh, doesn't cut it with me. I want to see the original language without someone's interpretation. And so it proved my point all along. They wanted to rush this thing through 
they're hell-bent on it, and it had a huge flaw. They only stopped when they found out they discovered an error on themselves. They wouldn't listen to anybody else. So, Senator, thank you for calling this to everyone's attention. I don't think any of us would know about this except for you being very vocal and public on this and being a good, a great public servant. I mean, WEDEC was created right early in the Walker administration as a partial privatization of, of a public, you know, a very public service that is to money we invest in economic development. And it's stunning to think about that you could do a, a, any deal, let alone a deal this big, where it's not public and where even the people who are appointed to the board to represent the people can't see the actual contract. I mean, this is unbelievable. This flies in the face of the entire tradition of open government in Wisconsin and transparent government and shows why we should not be privatizing in this fashion. But furthermore, I have every expectation that Foxconn's lawyers wrote this contract, and, we, and that, that's why we would have a stunning issue like this. I agree with you. They, they are a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar foreign corporation. Uh, they've gone through this show and this charade before in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and other places. And my concern is they are writing the contract, and uh, the Walker administration, uh, whenever any questions are raised, they keep on saying, well, we're negotiating it, we're still negotiating it. But I'm concerned that they want this deal so bad that they're willing to cave in to a lot of things that will hurt uh, protecting taxpayer dollars. So this is not gonna this is not gonna end well, in my opinion. And there was an audit committee meeting earlier this week, and there have been three audits on WEDC, and uh, they have not been good. And even asking for uh, a record, they refused to turn over a record that two about $200,000 of taxpayer money that went from WDC spent to a law firm to try and see how, what type of job they're doing in terms of trying to verify employment records to see if they are actually outsourcing jobs, if the jobs are actually there to verify that they're around. And uh, it's straightforward, uh, Mark Hogan, the secretary, refuses to release that information to the Audit Bureau, which doesn't make sense. Again, if they're doing stuff with private dollars, they can do what they want. But if it's public money for Foxconn, we need to know all about it. And if they spend $200,000 on a contract to see what they're doing wrong with tracking employment, we ought to be able to see what that uh, law firm found out. So it's kind of a Nixonian uh, control information uh, have the board rubber stamp it, and they're the smartest guys in the room. Senator, this is Rebecca Lynch with the Working Families Party. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the folks who listen to our podcast feel similarly to myself, uh, panic that this is possible, that this is happening. Uh, you know, that money that should, like you said, it's our public money, it should be going to schools, it should be going to fighting the opioid crisis, to keeping homegrown Wisconsin companies here. Um, and so this is like incredibly disconcerting. And I think, you know, as Robert said, we wouldn't, or, or maybe it was Matt, we wouldn't even know this were happening were it not for you. Um, but what can we do, if anything, uh, as more and more of this comes to light and it's even more alarming than we originally thought, is there anything that you know the, those of us in the room or listeners can do to, to fight back against this? Well, 
it's been very hard trying to get WEDC to be more transparent, be more open. Um, they do a lot of things in closed session. I voted against going to closed session. November 8th is when they've uh, scheduled us to supposedly vote. Um, I'll be continuing, and I think I'm the only person on the board that is going to vote against it. Uh, and I've had a very difficult time because the other board members that are on, they're not elected. There's four elected officials, uh, legislators, and then seven people that are not elected and they're not accountable. Um, I guess to just pass out the word that there's still an opportunity to try and raise a lot of these issues. And hopefully when I talk to my constituents and I've had a town hall meeting and it did a questionnaire, um, People just don't understand when I ask, can I see the contract, uh, they refuse to do it. And it would be like signing a mortgage or uh, something of that nature and not being able to see the contract. And so people understand that. Uh, I'm worried, and we haven't gotten into the environment. We haven't gotten to the part about labor agreements. We've been working with uh, Peter Rickman and Bruce Colburn to try and uh, work with WEDC to have them go off the bucks model where local uh, employees, uh, uh, people that are workers, can have some influence and get hired, uh, the minority community, uh, uh, anybody who's sort of left out in the economic stream that, you know, need jobs, but it's like pulling teeth. So I guess... It's the Republicans have narrowed this funnel down to WEDC, and this is the last stand of being trying to hold them accountable. After this, the governor can turn on the spigot of money, and out goes uh, you know billions of dollars. What I think is going to be unaccounted for. Hey, Senator, we're almost out of time. This is Robert, but one other quick question. I mean, of course, this whole thing flies in the face of Walker's promises to be paid for performance if you have a contract like this. But we also had recently the decision to hire a private accounting firm that is supposed to verify the uh, job creation, which, of course, WEDEC, the audit bureau, has found has been unable and unwilling to do with all their other grants. Do you know who'd be paying for that accounting firm and who they'd be paying? Because we know in the financial crisis who pays the firm means everything. When Wall Street paid the accreditation firms, it meant just a rubber stamp. Um, yes, that, that question was raised. Um, I believe right now, and it hasn't, uh, it has to be part of the contract, which we can't see, but uh, my hope is that Foxconn would pay for it. But uh, uh, Senator Weinhardt brought something up at the audit committee. Uh, a lot of these companies that created the crash of 2008 those would be some of the folks that would be doing the reviewing um, with Foxconn. And so even if money's sent out, the question is, who does the accounting? Uh, are they reputable? Uh, will they have uh, pressure put on them to write a good review? There are a lot of things that are out there that cause concern. That's, you raise a very good point, and I shall look into that also. Well, Senator, there are so many layers to this onion, and I we really appreciate the fact that you're there trying to expose some of this and make sure that uh, uh, the public is, is protected as much as at all possible with this deal. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Thanks, Matt, Rebecca, and Robert. Um, I look forward to working with you more into the future. Excellent. You have a great day. You too. Thanks. 
And with that, we will get out of here and we'll be right back after the break. We're going to talk a little bit of health care. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We need to talk health care. It is a very important week next week. November 1st is the beginning of open enrollment. Uh, you may not have heard about it because there's been a real serious effort to squash any real uh, media around open enrollment. Open the tr- enrollment <laughs> exactly. Whereas not, not, not school, right? You know, let's remember we've had we've had uh, some some bad rollouts of Obamacare, but one thing that has always been a part of it, for the most part, has been some ad run up, a real publicity that has been crushed by the other side. But it is happening. So November first, you get an opportunity to go on and uh, enroll for healthcare. So please do that if you uh, are interested. But what we want to talk about is. There's been a lot of news about the numbers, the rates that are uh, that are coming with the new exchange, and that there's been serious increases. And we're very fortunate to have Robert Craig here to talk to us about a report that's being released today on Thursday by Citizen Action that really shows how Wisconsin, in particular, uh, this cycle will be paying more than average. Uh, significantly more than average, thousands more than Minnesotans. Robert, why don't you give us the top lines on not only what the data finds, but really what's the real implication of these numbers? Yeah, and we won't call it a tax because that's bad messaging, but uh, we'll call it a Trump or Walker fee or assessment. You can see it as an assessment for Governor Walker's reelection because they're doing absolutely nothing on health care other than complain that everything is Obamacare's fault. Right, where other states, including led by Republicans, are filing frauds of waivers, trying to do things at the state level uh, to deal with the rate increases they're being driven right now by sabotage by President Trump and by his Department of Health and Human Services. And so we had pointed out uh, in a previous report a couple weeks ago that if we would just adopt the Badger Care public option, that we could lower rates, lower rates between this year and next year by an average 24%, even more in many Wisconsin cities, and it would cost the state no money. So the only reason not to do it would be you don't care about Wisconsin families having access to affordable coverage. Well, what we're doing now is looking at, uh, looking at our very similar state uh, to the west and slightly to the north, Minnesota, which has taken much more proactive action. And we have shown a big gap in the past with Minnesota. Uh, it's varied from, from year to year, but there's been a big gap in the past because they did a lot of things like take the Medicaid money, do insurance uh, rate review, health insurance rate review in a robust way. What they're doing right now is they're doing a reinsurance program, uh, which, makes ins- which holds insurance companies harmless for having more sicker patients, which actually compensates for exactly the thing uh, Trump is sabotaging on that is the payments, right? Uh, the cost, the cost-sharing payments that you and I were removed, and the numbers are stark, Matt. So, on average, uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, consumers in, in the buying insurance on their own and paying the full rate, in other words, it doesn't include the tax credit, will pay 45 percent more next year uh, than in, than uh, it, than they would in Minnesota, and the numbers are even um, are even starker. If you look at the Twin Cities uh, versus particular Wisconsin cities, so for example, it, it's all you know, 90%, 74% more based on city. In Green Bay, 145% more. 
So the premium in Green Bay will be 5,676 on average, um, and so more. Not that's the premium, that's more than what you would pay in the Twin Cities, and 2,000 more deductibles on top of that. So $7,600 more, roughly, if you add premium deductibles, for the same policy. And so statewide, just in terms of premiums, the average Wisconsinite will pay over $2,000 more than the average Minnesotan. And so this is really an example of how sabotage is not just about trying to kill Obamacare. Sabotage is about refusing to use the full power of our state government to guarantee affordable health care to hard-pressed working families who really need it. The question I have, obviously this is great research and it's really important because it's fundamental to understand, understand that point you make, that there's a lot states can do in spite of what's happening. The problem I have, and I, you know, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, right? The reason why the sabotage will be a, possibly be effective is the average person isn't going to get like this great report and get the understanding of what's going on here. They're just going to see the rates going up, right? And they're going to see, and they're already hearing that with uh, media coverage. And this just leads to further erosion, right, of support for the ACA, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and, and so this, what, 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 what do we do, right? Like, how, how, do we, how do we take information like this and, and use this to, to educate people, but also to, to push back, right? Like, I, I like your idea, the, the public option, right, is a perfect way to, to sort of help illustrate this as a way out, because sometimes it can seem overwhelming, right, that what's going on, but your thoughts on that and like because because this sabotage we've talked about it a lot it's very real this is a exact example of how it plays out and how it debilitates support right i'd be a little more optimistic in that the polling shows that people are blake squarely blaming trump and not obama that's for good information so he uh, that's why they you've had 17 percent support for the trump care versions that have all gone down in flames uh now they're not necessarily seeing the connection to state government which is absolutely critical coming into this election year because Governor Walker, all he said about the, the rate increases of an average of over 30% across all, even higher for a lot of individuals, uh, was that Obamacare is failing, it needs to go away. So just this boilerplate kind of right-wing line. Right. Uh, he needs to be held accountable in this governor's race for actively sabotaging the Affordable Care Act and doing no, taking no simple, easy actions he could have taken to make health care affordable because he thinks it's good politics uh, to send our health care system backwards. And we need to hold state legislators accountable. In the Fighting Bob LaFalla era, the way these incumbents uh, who were tied to the, 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 the uh, railroad barons uh, and, the, and the timber barons were thrown out of office was telling the public exactly what they voted for against their interest, very emphatically and clearly. So we need to be saying, and we need people campaigning this way, how much more you're paying for health care because your state senator won't do a thing and opposes bills right before him or her that could, that could, that could take, be, that would help a lot. Now, do we think that these bills are the, uh, solve the whole health care situation and, and all we need to do? No, but they're all steps towards where we need to go, which is Medicare for all. And the reason they're all steps in that direction, because the only way to guarantee health care as a right is for our democratic government to do so. And anything that expands the role of government and reduces the power of insurance companies, drug companies, big hospital chains to just uh, price gouge is, is a step in the right direction. 
Yeah, and I would take uh, your point about this is how state legislators need to campaign and expand that to every Democratic gubernatorial candidate, of which there are probably 15 at the time of taping. But all of them should be campaigning on this. It's money out of people's pockets. It needs to be tied to Walker. Some of them are, Some of them are writing op-eds. I think that there is um, a big difference between... Uh, yeah, the op-eds are a good start. I'll mm -hmm. say that, right? But I think, and we talk about this like every podcast now, but we on the left need to do a better job of messaging. And then it needs to be like the cornerstone of their argument for why we need to replace Walker. They need to be like pithy and they need to need to drill at home in every part of the state. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, sorry, Robert, you go. I was going to say listeners can send us in more information because maybe Rebecca and Matt track it more carefully. I may be missing statements, but I know that Dana Walks and Senator Weinhout are on the bill for Magic Care Public Option. I know that Mike McCabe is campaigning on it. There may be others as well, so we'd love to hear that from the listeners about any other candidates for governor that are running on this issue. I think, yeah, and, and we think the Badger Care Public Option is critical, right? Very important, because it's something that could be done right away, right? But it is, I, I, to, to, to both of your points, I do think people ought to be asking governor candidates, would they be supportive of Medicare for all, right? Would they, even though that's a federal issue, we need all of our leaders in the same way that Walker is actively sabotaging as a governor the Affordable Care Act, we need progressive Democratic leaders to start to be standing up for the visions that Senator Tammy Baldwin is running on and, and Bernie Sanders and others that are really taking a lead on sort of laying out a, a big marker for where we ought to go. And public and option helps us get there. And let me there. just say, because we're almost out of time here, what Minnesota did, reinsurance, was actually not what the Democrats wanted to do. The Republican House in, the, in Minnesota did it. And then the Democrats went along. They wanted a public option. So there are things Republicans in other states support, which would lower, lower premiums that, um, that they're not doing here in Wisconsin, aren't even talking about. Well, with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back on the other side. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. I also want to let our listeners know that if you want to find the research that Robert was talking about, we'll have a link to it right at the website here. So lots of, lots of good data, and you can check out your, your section of the state and how you compare. But with that, we have a quick special guest. One of our fabulous organizers, Anna Dvorak, has joined us to tell us about a town hall that is going on uh, this weekend around the Fair Maps work, which we've talked a lot about, critical work. Anna, tell us if uh, folks are interested in this Fair Maps campaign and are in the southeastern Wisconsin area, you got an event. Hey, guys. Yeah, so we have a very exciting event this weekend. Uh, so it's a Fair Maps town hall. It's going to be Saturday, October 28th, 2 to 4 o'clock. Uh, you'll hear from Sachin Cheda from the Fair Elections Project. That's the group that has been spearheading the Gil v. Whitford case. It's the landmark gerrymandering case. He has a great presentation that he'll be giving. And then also we'll have Shantae Nelson from Wisconsin Voices, who has been a great partner of ours working on this issue. And she will talk about prison gerrymandering and how gerrymandering contri uh, contributes to racial disparities um, and disenfranchisement. Um, so yeah, that's this Saturday, October 28th from 2 to 4 o'clock at the Tippecanoe Church, 125 West Savlin Avenue in Milwaukee. 
that's on our website in our events page. So go check that out. So I lo- <laughs> this sounds great, Anna, but I don't live in Milwaukee, but I'm interested in getting involved. How do I get involved? What? How do I? Should I just contact you? Yeah, that'd okay. be great. Contact me. Uh, my information is all over the website, but Anna.Dvorak at citizenactionwi.org. Well, Anna, we appreciate uh, all the work you do, but also coming in and updating folks on this. Um, we're going to have you back, though. Uh, you've been, you're really interested in the climate catastrophe that's headed our way and thinking about how we can organize on that. We'll, you're going to come back uh, maybe next week or a following week, and we're going to talk more about that. Uh, am I correct? That's correct. Oh, it's come not- on, Anna. <laughs> That's correct. Tell, tell people I, a little bit more, just briefly. Give them a little uh, uh, image into teaser into what yeah, you want to come back so and talk the about. Yeah, it's climate catastrophe that I'm interested <laughs> in. It's more like the transition that we could make to really like uh, fix kind of the, the disparities in our communities, racial, gender, et cetera, and really create an economy that's fair for everyone. Um, so and and that's needed really to in order to address uh, this global climate catastrophe. So <laughs> exactly. so it's really like that's what that's what energizes me. But also I'm I'm scared, very yeah. scared. No, <laughs> it's it's uh, critical work, and we're glad that we're going to be doing more in that area. So we'll have you on at a later date. Thanks so much for coming by, and good luck with your town hall this weekend. Thanks, everyone. So we are going to spend a couple minutes here. We need to talk about a Senate vote this week that overturned a CF. PB, which is a big acronym, (laughs) a rule that essentially protects consumers against big banks. Uh, Currently, or at least before this this passed, you could, if you felt like you were violated against, join in with others by a bank or a a large financial institution, say Wells Fargo, uh, as did happen, join together with other folks and have a large class action lawsuit Uh, against the bank. And this has been something that actually can keep uh, banks in check from doing things that could lead to massive profits on their part and, of course, uh, losses for consumers. This was a very narrow vote. It required Mike Pence to come and cast the deciding vote. The people's champion. The people's champion. But this this is huge. I actually read one of the, I think, literally it's called like Banker Magazine or <laughs> Bankers <laughs> Daily, a major, major banker publication declared that this was the biggest victory for banks since Dodd-Frank. So a lot of folks may not have heard about this, but it is a huge deal because, say, like the Equifax situation that just occurred, right? That's small losses for a lot of people that on their own are not going to mount a major lawsuit. Uh, they'll now be forced to go to arbitration, which is ridiculous. And so for, for a lot of folks, for all of us, for consumers, we have functionally lost, you know, real equity fairness and our ability to have any kind of level playing field with banks. This is going to be huge, and we will not fully see uh, what the implications are for years uh, as, as these abuses are going to continue. Yeah, this is incredibly dramatic. Uh, This is one of the single most destructive things that the Trump administration and Congress has been able to get through in the last year. Uh, Very little they've gotten through. (laughs) That's true. This is a big one. This This is is a big one, though, to Wall Street and banks, right? And it's just like a straight corporate takeover, plain and simple. Uh, It is incredibly dramatic and uh, denies people, you know, it's, it seems like it's really obtuse, it's really not, it denies us our, what I would say, constitutional right for our day in court, denies us our day in court, 
um, tilts everything very much heavily in favor of corporations that rip people off, whether it's Equifax, Wells Fargo, um, but also all the way down to employment discrimination. If you work in the retail sector, you might have a contract that has this forced arbitration. Uh, so as of right now, I'm not completely aware of anything we can do um, to fight against it at this moment. There are two things that I should note. One is that um, Al throw Franken. Throw the rascals out. <laughs> throw them out. Well, that was the second thing. Yeah. yeah, so let's start with that, right? I mean, I think, I hope that the people recognize this for what it is, and this is an impetus for really dramatic electoral change in the midterm elections. Um, the second thing is that Senator Al Franken does have a bill. Um, I think it's called the Arbitration Fairness Act or something like that. Um, but we should uh, absolutely be advocating um, for his bill to be passed. Uh, if you want more data or information or whatever else, there's a hashtag online that's really helpful called hashtag ripoff clause, because uh, that's what this is, a total ripoff. Uh, and then there are folks like the Americans for Financial Room and others. Um, people remember Monopoly Man trolling Congress. Um, Amanda Werner, she's a good person to, to look to for this. So I know the public has been clamoring to, to provide more help to the banks, right? And the, the banks, they, they've just been so hard hit and so punished for crashing the economy, uh, I guess not. Uh, it's not only people's individual rights, uh, it also, it, from a sewer protection standpoint, it gets rid of a deterrence, okay, to bad behavior. So in other words, if you're afraid of a class action suit, then you won't do the little thing that costs each consumer $5 that makes you a billion dollars, right? Because it's a possible class action suit. In addition, these matter arbitration things, that, I mean, they're a violation of something that goes back to the founding of the country. I mean, an app, going back way before the founding of the country, the idea that you, had, you would write to your day in court, the whole common law was absolutely essential. The Constitution guarantees it. And so it's striking that this is even considered constitutional, uh, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and, and these mandatory, the arbitration clauses, they're mandatory. They're put in, they're thrown in there in the middle. The arbitrators, just like we were talking about with WIDEC and the accounting firm, uh, are paid for by the company, and therefore it's a stacked process. And so and it's it really quite egregious, and they simply assume that they can get away with it. And they assume they're basically trying to bank on the American people being too distracted, too busy living their lives, too busy with the latest, whatever the latest uh, sensation on streaming uh, video is, uh, to notice that their own members of Congress are standing up, standing with the banks and not with them. But still, we had the tweet from Vice President uh, Pence, who had the tying vote, proud to cast the tie-breaking vote tonight to stand up for everyday consumers and community banks. So there you have it's it. Just, it. Look, this is just flat-out lying. That administration ran on on helping regular folks. The I mean, that guy, was that yeah. was. I mean, look, besides, let's face it, just straight-up white supremacist racist appeals. Mm -hmm. That was what kind of got him out of the. He's a total quack, right? It was this idea that he was going to be for regular people. And this was is exactly the opposite. This is a serious blow, if anything, right? Like you go into a lot of towns, they don't have this small banks and what what is he talking about, right? Like they have they have branches of large major multinational well, banking banks institutions. Don't have major liability because they're too small. It's it's, it's Chase that can figure out how to make billions by fleet by adding another illegal fee, right, or, char or doing little maneuvers like figuring out how to make sure that the biggest check always comes out of your account 
in a way that it will cause an overdraft for the yes. big check rather than that the small check. Yeah. All those sorts of things, right? No, I, I think uh, what's interesting about this is that there was a broad coalition pushing against this. It wasn't just uh, the usual suspects yeah. that might include us um, listening to this podcast. The American Legion had some of the strongest statements against this ripoff clause uh, because it really does impact servicemen. And like Matt said, the little guy, everyone. Well, good for the American Legion. You don't usually hear them in these circles. Uh, and it's also about the takeover of democracy. Okay. This is about Banks are more important than people, and money can buy power. It's not really a functioning democracy if, this, if these sort of highly unpopular decisions are made without consequences. To what extent is this even a democracy? And it also shows the lie that somehow campaign contributions and lobbying don't create policy. And, of course, shout out to Tammy Baldwin for opposing this. With that, we got to get out of here. Senator Johnson was for it. <laughs> yes. That tribune of the people. Uh, yes. And with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We were having a good conversation before the break about this horrendous uh, Senate uh, repeal of the class action suits against the banks, but we are going to focus on more craziness here in our state, since we do like to talk about state politics. Robert, uh, you know, I was on vacation, on vacation, I was on a retreat last week and didn't have great communication, but I did manage when I came back to town to see uh, this weekend that Robin Voss lost his head again. He, he started calling Republicans terrorists because they didn't support his position in the budget. Mm, this a little more. <laughs> it's, it's a lot more complicated, of course, but w- terrorists, right? Like this. this yeah, he was on Mike. A little Duchet bit of hyperbole. Even Mike, even in the completely unflappable Mike Duchet was like, "Oh, a terrorist? What?" <laughs> but it was that Walker did line item vetoes in return for a couple Senate votes that were a violation of the agreements on the budget. Oh, and that so never words, happens. Voss got oh. deals. Well, apparently Voss Come says on. it doesn't when there's a broader deal between the whole caucuses and that this is an outrage. But obviously Walker just needed a budget and doesn't. And, and he and Voss seem to have a rivalry. In fact, I assume Voss is hoping that Walker is not trying to become Tommy Thompson and run for four terms or five terms or... If we're to imagine what the state would look like if we had four or five terms of uh, Scott Walker. Uh, although, Robert, I must say, if I recall, didn't, um, oh, what was his name? The gentleman from Wausau abandoned the Democrats to vote for a budget. Didn't Gary George? About, I mean, people have, like, literally walked on budget votes, much less just no, no, cutting no, 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 a no, deal. No, 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 no. This is about the deal the, with the governor the and the caucuses about certain things. So, in other words, the entire assembly vote was premised on some things that were then changed gotcha. after the fact yeah. in the vetoes. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Gotcha, here. gotcha. So, it still doesn't seem like he's a terrorist. <laughs> I'm glad to, we could agree on that. It led to Fitzgerald and I know Kapanga, Rob Kapanga, who is to the farthest right you can imagine in the legislature, which is really saying something in Wisconsin. Uh, and so they all complained, and then, and then Voss apologized, but uh, quite frankly, it is interesting that, I mean, first of all, just the way the term terrorist actually appreciates, probably apologizing for using a racialized term, right? Since obviously terrorist raises specter um, on, on the right of folks from the Middle East, right? Look, the one thing that this 
could lead to, the good upside is maybe they can't really communicate with each other as well, and this limits some of the legislation they might pass, or ultimately, uh, do we think that that, nah, probably not. That would be, that would be uh, far, too, far too good if the... In uh, the same interview, <laughs> the gridlock would Voss was occur. answering Donald Trump, who said that he hoped the Foxconn deal would occur... And which suggests it might not. And then Voss, oh, no, 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 they're buying land and they're here and it's definitely happening. Now, he said that around the same interview where he referred to terrorists. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've exhausted our, our, talk about healthcare terrorists. our, our ability to talk about what's going on on the right. So we do need to spend some time before we go talking a little bit about the $1.6 million of investments of the Koch brothers attacking targeted senators over the, the uh, tax cuts that the Republicans are trying to jam through Congress. Uh, and Tammy Baldwin is being targeted. Uh, the Koch brothers have said that they are going to spend up to $400 million nationally between now and the next Which election. Which they stand to benefit much more uh, than that uh, from the tax giveaway. Yeah, I, it just, but your head spins at these, the volume of money and just the shit show that clearly uh, Tammy is headed for. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to talk about this because, you know, obviously Tammy has been great on a number of core issues. And on the tax cut, you know, we all know that she's going to be a strong, strong opposition. But these ads, if you've seen them, they're just like complete fabrications. They make it sound like Tammy Baldwin, like, is for the wealthy and the rich and like, this bill is really supportive of regular working families. It's like a, it's completely different, of course, than who's actually getting the benefit in these tax cuts. But again, the pollution of our democracy, the just the unbridled amounts of money uh, in our system is going to be on display. And it, it is right now. If you turn your TV on, it's hard to miss these ads. Yeah, I mean, we were talking before the podcast, and you had mentioned Matt that this is like a doubling of their investment uh, in in the state, if you could put it that way. Um, it's a pretty shocking amount of money. And I think it goes to show the lengths to which uh, these like incredibly wealthy corporate interests will go to get this quote unquote tax reform and like therefore shows what it is really about. And yep. it's really about giving them more money. Their return on investment in all of this political spending is going to be far outweighed by how much money they'll be getting back from these tax cuts. This is the new deregulated campaign environment. And it it's a way, it's a, it's a mechanism for translating economic inequality into political inequality. So if you can just, without any regulation at all, run what are clearly campaign ads, you don't know what the source, though in this case, the Cokes apparently want credit. Uh, but nonetheless, it completely pollutes the political process. And hopefully, because hopefully it just won't be believed, but it's certainly going to have some impact. But you look at how they're willing to say anything. You see, conservatives clearly are just about power because there's no limit to what they'll say just to win. Uh, so the idea that they're principled conservatives, if there are, they should be opposing the, both this kind of spending and this, and this sort of uh, pollution of the public sphere. And the problem is, if you discredit government generally, it helps conservatives. So this is problematic at multiple levels. It just leads to more cynicism, and even the response is taken um, as cynicism, because these people are a kind of terrorist, and they want to dramatically limit the scope of government and complete and put and put private corporate power fully in charge of the country. That's the whole Coke mission for the last 40 years. And so, uh, actually, polluting the public sphere 
actually contributes to that in addition to punishing their enemies, right? Uh, like Senator Baldwin, and she's an enemy because she actually stands up for average people. But you have these quotes in the article, in the, in the, in the ads, right? It seems like the harder we work, the more Washington takes from us. Senator Tammy Baldwin are part of the problem. Can they have that voice by a, a millionaire, like by a Koch brother, rather than by an average person? I don't think they do. And then the second ad, a Wisconsin construction company president suggesting if Baldwin opposes tax reform, I like how it's tax reform, it's for or against, it, you know, it's this giveaway. It's proof that she opposes jobs, she opposes higher wages. Like giving big tax breaks to the wealthy or large corporations leads to higher wages. It doesn't at all. The only reason wages get higher is because people have the money to spend in the local communities, right? So, and, and companies have an incentive to create jobs because there's profit in creating jobs. Just giving them money uh, creates no additional incentive to create any jobs whatsoever. Yep, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think to, to your point about this is the new deregulated campaign environment. I mean, we just, with facts, um, on the left, however you want to, you know, qualify, you know, the narrative of what is actually happening in Washington, we just cannot compete dollar for dollar. And so the only thing we can do is just like go out and talk to folks and knock on doors and, you know, support Tammy however we can. But people like including everyone on this podcast really need to be educated and engaged in every part of the state that we're listening in because you just can't compete with this deluge of millions of dollars in in campaign spending. And I think the only way you're actually if if you're a candidate running for a big office or any office, I guess, um, is if you actually have a vision like you're talking about and that inspires people to give you large amounts, right? That gets beyond just sort of the small donors who currently, you know, are the pool of donors on, say, in the Democratic establishment or just sort of the pool that any candidate might get a list and start calling, you know. Um, the only way that we're going to break out of that and actually get those small donations like a Sanders did is, is to have an agenda that is bigger than yourself, that's bigger than any sort of personal narrative about who you are or, uh, and is, is much more about this broader vision that, you know, cuts into this and just really, you know, is a clean break from this kind of vision of, of, of the economy. I mean, even, you know, not, not, I don't, I'm not a big, like, let's bang on the Democrats person, but, like, even the Democratic response is more about, it's within the tax cut frame, right? Like, yeah, we're for tax cuts for working families, right? Like, and I understand where that line of messaging, and I know where that comes in the polling, and I get why that is the message, but, like, it doesn't really break us into a new frame of, of where we need people focused, right? It stays in this really narrow frame of self-interested tax cuts as opposed to what the hell do we need to create the kind of economy and democracy you need for opportunity to be broadly shared, right? Um, and that also ends the white supremacy and, and, and a lot of oppression. So that's not going to be this narrow argument. So uh, the only way that happens is if we continue to have a bunch of bold candidates who actually run on real new agenda. Well, I don't want people to be cynical either. The idea that we can't compete is not true. Uh, because even though these have impact, there's a level of diminishing returns where more and more does not lead to more and more impact. Mm. It does mean we need to have serious resources, serious communication, serious organizing, very large-scale mobilization campaigns way beyond what we've seen in anything like, say, the Mary Burke 
or the uh, previous races for governor, including Jim Doyle, for that matter. Uh, but Bernie Sanders raised more money than Hillary Clinton yeah. and raised a lot more money than, uh, than most of the Republicans as well, all clean money. But you need to have a bold agenda, and you need to excite people. You need millions of small contributions. You need armies of grassroots volunteers and then a mechanism, a system for using them effectively. So there is a balance, and people are beginning to tune these out as simply lies, but they mm. have some impact. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think part of it is certainly not just about dollars. You mentioned grassroots volunteers. You know, Tammy, this is a huge state, as we know, right? We travel around it when we can, but it is a huge state. Uh, and Tammy also has to go to D.C. on a regular basis. So, you know, she really is going to be relying on us to get information out there. And I think she does have a pretty bold platform, which we could talk about another time. Well, we're going to have to talk about that at another time. We'll definitely talk more Baldwin down the road. Uh, but we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our guest, Senator Tim Carpenter, for joining us and talking about WEDEC. Of course, Anna Dvorak, if you can, get out to that fair elections map uh, 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 town hall this Saturday in Bayview. And of course, Brian Wooldridge, thank you for producing the podcast every week. We will, again, we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>